touch this. You can't touch this. Break it down. Welcome to episode 503 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. You want it more? Maybe we'll make it all the way to 600. So what are we going to talk about? We have to talk about Deep Root and Hammer Time, right? You can't touch this. I submitted to Robert Mueller that their tagline should be, you can't dimple this. Deep Root Time, right? So let's see if I get my t-shirt. We're going to talk about the post they put up asking people to submit to submit stuff to win t-shirts to promote their new playfield quality. We have to talk about this because if they nail the playfield quality, this could mean big issues for the rest of the manufacturers out there and the quality that people expect in their pinball machines. We have to talk about Jersey Jack and oh, won't you please take me home? Guns N' Roses connoted as being the next game again, but when will we see it? And Stern Pinball is once again eating everybody's lunch with a game that is already revealed, a game that people are already ordering, a game in which they sold out every single LE in one day. Once again, as everyone else sort of hypes and teases and makes people wait, Stern Pinball is making money. It seems like they're the only pinball company that just gets it done time and time again. Now, will Avengers and Infinity Quest, will it be a game in which there are no issues with the game? We all hope so. We all hope so because the hype is high. Let's just hope the quality is high. So what I want to do on this episode, we're going to get to the good stuff, but I want to sort of go down a list of of other manufacturers and things I've been hearing and things I've been reading. And the first thing, uh, let's start alphabetically with American Pinball. All right, so real quick with American Pinball, if you own a Hot Wheels, I was just digging through the thread and you update it to the latest code. It seems like there's a bug in the new code in which when you start Redline Mania, Uh, The mode is interrupted. The animations and the music and the narration don't really start correctly. So there is a bug in this game. So if you have a Hot Wheels and you are noticing that, you are not alone. We know that they're working on a fix for that bug. So that's the news over in the American pinball world. Another post that I saw on Pinside that just caught my attention was someone was asking for the ROMs, the the files that, that drive the game, the ROMs of Pinball Circus to be dumped. He was asking Tim Allen at the Pinball Museum to dump the ROM files so that Pinball Circus would not be lost, that we would have a preservation of this title. Now, for those of you out there who have been following Circus Maximus and their remake of the Pinball Circus, Python Angelo's game, and Kingpin, you have to be scratching your heads and wondering, when are these guys going to complete these projects? And when I saw that post, at first I thought to myself, wow, that's that's what's been going on with this company and where are they currently with these games? And so I want to just go back and like look at some of the dates in which they said they were going to deliver stuff and where we are today being September of 2020 and what we think the likelihood is that they are going to get Kingpin out anytime soon. And, and from there... Will we ever see the pinball circus resurface again in the world? The Pinsider old baby asked for the ROMs to be dumped. And one of the things he mentioned, which was interesting, if the ROMs got dumped of the pinball circus, that someone could make a digital and a virtual pinball table based upon the pinball circus. But that really wouldn't work. If you think about virtual pinball, you can sort of, you know, emulate what a pinball machine looks like when you lay a screen sort of horizontal. But Pinball Circus, the game, is so vertical. And if you've seen the game, it looks like an upright, almost arcade cabinet in which the ball is going vertically up the machine. 
So there is no way you could really digitally recreate the pinball circus game using a virtual pinball table. So I think that suggestion just would never work. Now, a little little history lesson for those of you listening to Canada's Pinball Podcast. So there was only two pinball circus games made by Bally Williams back in the day. One is in the Pinball Museum, Tim Arnold's. I think it's the Pinball Hall of Fame. And another is in a private collection. Now, there's been rumors over the years that a third version or third game has existed. Uh, There's rumors that maybe Gene Cunningham had it because he had a lot of the parts that were thrown out when Bally Williams closed up shop. But there has never been a third game that has ever been located or people know about. Now, Circus Maximus came out a few years ago. I believe it was like three or four years ago. And they said, we're making, we're remaking Python Angelo's The Pinball Circus. And I think they were making 16 games originally or 12 games just to see how they could prototype it and get them into production. And they would go from there. Now, somewhere into that production schedule, they realized money was tight and they had to raise more money to finish that project. So what they did was they said, we're going to make another game that will be even more popular, will have even more demand, and we're going to remake Kingpin. And we're going to use the money that we make off of Kingpin to further the development of Pinball Circus and get that game complete. Now, we've seen this before in the boutique pinball world in which you can't quite finish Project A, so you start raising money for Project B to finish Project A. I think sometimes we call that a little bit of a Ponzi scheme in the pinball boutique world, but it wasn't that at all. It wasn't that at all. These gentlemen didn't take any deposits. What they did do was when they announced Kingpin, they sold translates to people. And that translate number, I believe they sold 150 translates at like 150 bucks. And your number translate gave you the opportunity to buy that game number of Kingpin if the game made it into production. And there was no guarantee. So even if this thing went belly up, at least you had a translate. They weren't gonna give you nothing for your money. Now. I was curious, like, what date did they announce they were remaking Kingpin? And the date they announced it was March 15th, 2018. That is when Circus Maximus said, we're remaking Kingpin. And it was right around TPF. And they brought uh, their game to TPF, their prototype. Now, for those of you who don't know, Kingpin is an extremely rare game from Capcom. There was only nine ever made. It is believed that there are eight currently in existence. Uh, In recent years, these games have sold for upwards of $40,000, right? And Kingpin was Capcom's game that was supposed to come out after Big Bang Bar. Um, But unfortunately, the factory closed in 1996, and neither machine made it into full production. I'm getting these facts from This Week in Pinball's website. So Kingpin was the last machine that Mark Ritchie designed. You know Mark Ritchie. He designed Indiana Jones. He designed Pinball Adventure, Fishtails, Diner, and Taxi. And it's rumored that Mark Ritchie is over at CGC currently and working on games. I hear Pulp Fiction is something that is in the rumor mill, and he's also working on another original sci-fi licensed theme game for Chicago Gaming Company, and he's also helping the Circus Maximus folks work on their Kingpin remake, so he's involved in that project as well. Here's where the speculation lies, because back in March of 2018, When they were asked when they thought the Kingpin remakes would be ready, their intention was to have Kingpin available for the Texas Pinball Festival at 2018, which they did. And the plan for production 
was late 2018 or early 2019. So that's what they were telling people back in 2018 of March, that the game would be out at the end of that year or early 2019. So here we are, and it's September of 2020, and there's still no Kingpin in sight. This Week in Pinball did a great interview back then with Circus Maximus, and I want to read you some of their answers, and then let's let's talk about like if we think this game is going to make it out. So they said, do you have any idea on production numbers? And Circus Maximus said, we expect the production to be higher than Python's Pinball Circus will be. But ultimately, it will depend on demand. If there is demand for only 250 games, we will build 250 of them. If there is demand for a thousand or more, we'll make them. Okay, so I just wanna, I just wanna stop right there. So how is it that this tiny boutique company that doesn't have manufacturing set up, and obviously manufacturing is always a big hurdle. How can you, as a company, in your mind, how can you go between making 250 and thousands of games? How do you make that mental leap that you're capable of doing that? We all know how extremely hard it is to make pinball machines. And a small boutique company could possibly pull off 250, but could they pull off a thousand or more? This is the part where I just think people go into pinball production with good intentions, but nobody really thinks it through. I mean, look at a company like Spooky Pinball with all of their employees, like 15 employees or more. It's taking them almost two years to make 750 games, and that's after they have all these years of experience on how to do it. So two guys in a garage, all of a sudden in, in 2018, they think they can make thousands of games if the demand is there. And that's like, look, I just think sometimes everyone gets so excited, they just don't realize how difficult it really is. So this week in Pinball went on to ask, are you contracting with someone to build the machines or setting up something in-house? Huge question there, right? I mean, you just said you can make thousands of games and they said, we have 12,000 square foot space we can use to build the games but we are open to working with a manufacturing partner. My guess is it will be mid-2018 before we have this more defined. Okay, by mid-2018, they would have it more defined how they were gonna make the kingpins, right? By mid-2018, it is now not even the middle of 2020, we're at the latter half of 2020, and Circus Maximus still hasn't told people how they're making these games. They still haven't told people if there's a deal in place. They still haven't told anyone, are they gonna hire people to fill that 12,000 square foot factory? Are they partnered with one of these other manufacturers? So why the two year delay? I, I get that there's COVID. I get that that has interrupted the last six months of your plans, but this was two years ago. So this week in Pinball went on to ask, do you know when the manufacturing will start? And Circus Maximus said, production sample games will likely be built during the third quarter of this year with the hope of beginning the production run while there is still an eight on the end of the year. Now, I think they meant 2018, not 2028 when they said a comment like that. And then Twip said, when do you plan to go back to Python's Pinball Circus after Kingpin? Is this a way to help fund that project? And they said, most likely we will be back working on several aspects of Python's Pinball Circus before Kingpin enters production. We have a new CNC machine arriving in the next several weeks that we will be able to cut full play fields and cabinets and those will be utilized for the next PPC prototype, 
which will feature the same system P3 PROC that we have in Kingpin. This means an LCD screen and full color HD graphics are coming for Python's Pinball Circus 2. Plus the next Whitewood should significantly improve gameplay. Now for those of you out there who've never played the prototype of Pinball Circus, I'm here to tell you right now because I played it, it's unplayable. You can't play the game because the flipper gap, when we complain about the flipper gap in Ghostbusters, multiply that by like four or five times. The gaps between the flippers, it's almost like there's like a six inch gap. And then there's the, the python, the snake up the middle that you're supposed to, you know, thrust up and, and save the ball, but it's too wide. So these, they were doing the smart thing. They were adjusting python's design so that it was actually playable and more fun. And then they went on to say the main reason we push Kingpin ahead of Python's Pinball Circus is mainly from a funding aspect. Remember, we have completely self-funded both projects so far and we felt that we could get Kingpin to production quicker and get some cash flow going that will help us get PPC to our promised finish line. Now that was two years ago. That was two and over two years ago, these kinds of statements. Now. I want to give you the latest updates because I went into the thread and I'm like, well, what's going on, right? Even if you were just a dude that bought a translate from them, you're probably anxious trying to wonder like, when are you going to get possibly your Kingpin? So when asked eight months ago, if we would see Kingpin in 2020, Paul Kieferd over at Circus Maximus said, he just said, yes, you are going to see it this year. So I had sent Paul a friend request and a message earlier this year asking him to come on the show and talk about the project. I haven't heard back. It doesn't, I'm not taking that personally. It doesn't mean he's not interested in talking to Canada's Pinball Podcast. I don't think he's on social media very much. I don't think he's on Pinside very much. I think these gentlemen are off doing their thing and working at their pace on this project. So I, I don't take any of that personally. But if you know Paul, or Paul, if you're listening, or someone tells you, hey, you got a shout out on Canada's Pinball Podcast, the number one pinball podcast, may I add, we would love to have you come on the show and talk about this project. Six months ago, Paul said, it's been slow going the past several months. The holdup continued to be getting the Playfield artwork to an acceptable quality for the new Playfield to be cut out. We have a solution and another new old stock playfield is being scanned by a cruise scanner. Seems that there are generally only two of these in any state shortly, and that should alleviate the issues we've had, colors, alignment, etc. cetera, uh, with stitching from the several attempts with individual scans as well as full playfield photos. We've talked to those that we believe manufactured the original playfields and so far have not found the original films for them in either the PPS collection or via the manufacturers. So we've been having to do this from a new old stock playfield. Unlike with Pinball Circus where James had the original films in our collection that we could scan and assemble for production. We have the vast majority of the parts for the next three games being assembled as the final production prototypes. A playfield that passes our expectations was the major hurdle of starting to assemble these games. We will be at TPF next month with Kingpin and our usual booth filled with pinball parts, swag, etc. Okay, so this was like right before TPF and Paul said like things were moving along but they were waiting for the artwork to be scanned. And then four months ago, Paul said this, all a quick update. COVID has forced us to change priorities and switch over to the 2.0 software side for a bit versus assembly of the final three prototypes as the software can be done in isolation and doesn't require business services that have had to temporarily close. 
We are hoping to show off some new things at TPF, but of course that plan got changed with everything going on too. Work still continues, just on a different branch of the plan than originally expected Paul. All right, and so since then, there's really been nothing. So it's really, really slow going on this game. And so as we look at and we get excited about all these games that are about to come out, right? Guns N' Roses, Raza, Avengers Infinity Quest, Cactus Canyon, Remake. Uh, where does Kingpin fall into this mix for you out there, for you collector out there? If you've played Kingpin, it's a really neat game. I had a chance to play it at TPF a couple of years ago when these gentlemen brought it. But what I don't understand by 2020 is why they haven't inked a deal with some manufacturer. I don't know why they're going to try to manufacture this thing in-house. It's really confusing to me that like American pinball isn't jumping all over this. But even more confusing to me is if Mark Ritchie is working with Chicago Gaming Company, why hasn't Chicago Gaming Company just confirmed with these gentlemen that they are going to bring back Kingpin. Now, one of the reasons why they might not have done that yet, because I heard the rumor was they said no, but that doesn't make sense to me that Chicago Gaming Company would tell these gentlemen to walk if Mark Ritchie, it's Mark Ritchie's game and Mark Ritchie's working with Chicago Gaming Company. It seems like a no-brainer, especially because Chicago Gaming Company is doing nothing but remakes. And this is a remake of one of the rarest, most sought-after pinball machines of all time. Now, obviously, if you put this thing into production, the reality is it's no longer the rarest and most sought-after pinball machine of all time. And I don't care what anyone says, those eight original games will significantly lose value. They won't be selling for anywhere near $40,000 because the new game will be better. The new game will have better software. It'll give you a chance to play the old game, but you can also play the new game with new dots. And it's just it's just going to be better all around because I think they've they've focused on improving parts of the game that you know Capcom did the best they could back then. So we're going to continue to follow Circus Maximus and see you know what they come up with with uh, with Kingpin and if this game is ever going to see the light of day now that it's two years late. All right, Stern Pinball. So Infinity Quest. You guys know the game. You guys are super excited for it. I've seen more videos of this game. I've seen the animations on Infinity Quest. And I do think they look really good. I love the fact that it, it looks like it's Zombie Yeti's artwork is being used for the animations. Stern put up a, a bunch of these animations on their Facebook page, so you should check those out. Um, and it's always nice. I've always liked it when you can get the same artwork and the same art style to be on the screen as it is on the game. So again, the big question mark, the big question mark for me is the quality of this game. Like, what will it be like? Will the mechanisms be quality mechs or will they be extremely difficult, okay? Because I think if you have any issues with those mechanisms, it's gonna derail the fun in the game. And the other big thing, and this is a big thing, we're gonna talk about this with Deep Root, is what will the playfield quality look like with Stern? And you could start to see what they're doing on the playfields now. I think instead of addressing the underlying issue with playfield quality, they're simply designing the ball guides a little bit differently so they don't sit on the playfield the same way. And is that a fix, right? Removing the artwork from underneath the post, is that a real fix? What is going on with these playfields and what will the quality be? I've seen people say that I harped on this and then I walked away from it. I haven't walked away from it. I haven't walked away from it. I have been saying from day one, I wouldn't go back in on a Stern machine until they get their playfield quality up. And I don't, have we seen the playfield quality up again? I mean, look at the playfield issues people have had 
with Ninja Turtles. And this is the game right after that. So I don't know what the answer is. I do know that we're going to see something from Deep Root that could have everybody looking at the quality of their Stern playfields differently. And you have to be a little bit nervous if you're Stern and someone can come out and prove you wrong. Just prove you wrong that you've been saying all this time that it was impossible to make playfields of better quality that wouldn't dimple. Okay, so we're it's gonna. Be, I can't wait. I can't wait to that hammer drops, and we're gonna talk about that. Do you want to hear a crazy rumor before I go on to Ninja Turtles? I heard a crazy rumor, and it sort of has to do with Ninja Turtles. I heard a crazy rumor that Avengers Infinity Quest was originally supposed to be designed as Ninja Turtles or it was supposed to be Ninja Turtles and I was like you're got to be kidding me and not another one of these like stern switch the theme on on a design but then if you think about it for just a minute this is the only thing that makes me feel like there could be a slim possibility that this thing was designed to be Ninja Turtles is that mechanism in which the Doctor Strange sort of circular thing lifts up and the ball goes into it and then into the subway system that you can see. I mean, wouldn't that make the perfect manhole cover for turtles that would lift up and the turtles would go into the subway? So when I saw that, I was like, well, wait a minute. Did Stern do another sort of like change of theme on, on an Elwin Borg design game? Did Stern do this again? Because remember, the last time Stern switched a theme onto another game was when uh, John Borg had designed Iron Maiden, which they switched that theme to uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. That was supposed to be Eddie in the middle, where, where Groot is, but that game ended up switching. So did they switch another Elwin Borg sort of approach to two games? I don't know. I don't know. I'd find it hard to believe that because of all the other elements in this game. Nothing else really feels turtle-like. Like, what would that upper, the Avengers building in the upper left, what would that be in Turtles, like the elevator that goes up? I don't know. But maybe it was just the mech moved over? I don't know. I have no idea. But it's just an interesting rumor to think about. And you won't be able to not see Ninja Turtles in that mechanism when you look at it again, though. So speaking of Ninja Turtles, obviously there's there's issues with the game. Look, Stern makes a lot of games, so there's going to be issues. But I think this one has sort of above average mechanical issues with the game. And I know there's some playfield issues as well. Uh, but something I was curious about, because I haven't played the game that much, was is the game too hard? And I keep hearing feedback that the game is brutal. So I asked you guys out there who own it, who play it, to let me know what your thoughts are on the game. Now I got two responses, canadapinball at gmail.com with 3,000 listeners, 2,500 listeners, and I got two responses from owners. So you guys are really great at, at getting back to me. So those two guys get to have their feedback on air. So here we go. So Antonio Verdusco, I hope I said your name right, Antonio. He said, and he goes by Tony. He said, I'm a casual player and I've played TMNT at two separate locations and have about 50 plays on a pro. And to me, it just wasn't enjoyable. First, I wanted to get behind the theme because I grew up with the cartoon just like so many others, but it didn't hold up with the times, plus the gameplay didn't help. It was fast and brutal. And for a casual player, this isn't fun, and it isn't going to keep me coming back. 
Then the pizza spinner added another level of unpredictability to a game that's already challenging. You already don't get to see much of the screen when you're playing because you're looking at the play field. But since the game plays so fast, I found myself mostly looking at the lower part of the play field trying to keep from draining. At a minimum, I like seeing the ball go through the different ramps and wire forms, but I really couldn't do this on TMNT. If they're trying to market this to the expert and tournament player, that isn't smart. If so, why do this with an IP like Turtles? A game should be enjoyable for everyone, especially for a guy who doesn't eat, sleep, and breathe pinball. All the recent ads that have gone up on Pinside Marketplace would justify this as well. Not to mention Avengers drop, almost 1K off some of these two-month-old Ninja Turtle LEs, and that's crazy. Someone on Pinside stated how they feel Gary Stern pretty much made TMNT their sacrificial lamb by releasing Avengers to stay on top of the competition. Not sure how releasing a title just months after releasing a TMNT will sit with John Borg and Dwight Sullivan. I don't think anybody is like, well, I got paid and already working on my next game, so who cares? Because for someone like me, pride and ego would trump that any day of the week. Plus, dropping any title with Keith and Zombietti at the helm will sell no matter when you decide to release it. Designers who have proven themselves like Eric and Keith should negotiate their contracts like athletes and base it on how many titles they'll develop for a company like Stern and JJP. This would allow them to either negotiate for bigger paydays or take their talents elsewhere when they have fulfilled their contract. By the way, I dig your Facebook Live pop-ups. Thanks, man. So, Tony, here's the thing. Thank you for your feedback on Ninja Turtles. You're saying what I'm hearing from a lot of people, that the game is really hard. It's really brutal, and that's detracting from the fun. And I do agree with you. When you have a casual theme like Ninja Turtles that has mass appeal to a lot of casual pinball fans, why make it brutal? Too many of these games are made too hard, and I'm sorry the excuse of, like, just learn to play better. No. You spend so much money on a toy... Why do you want to spend so much money on a toy that just punishes you over and over and over again? And there's a balance. There's a balance. And we all know what that balance is because we all know which games are really fun to flip. And you can make a game really hard with the code. Now, the point you bring up, Tony, about contracts, I mean, I think we have to talk about this on a separate episode, but the whole notion that these designers should have contracts that allow them to renegotiate each year based upon sales and popularity, I think is a smart one. And I doubt they do it. And I think Stern knows that these men are so in love with making pinball that I bet you all out there, and I I mean this, I bet all of you out there would feel bad for them if you learned how much money these designers are making. I think you would. Because when you see them sell 500 LEs at 9,200 bucks in a few hours, how much do you think Keith Elwin is making at Stern Pinball? Is he making a quarter million dollars a year? He should. He should. I mean, if you think about it, they're making thousands off of each game they sell. Thousands. And so why shouldn't he get, you know, a, a 10% cut on every LE sold that he makes? And 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 I think that, again, I think that these guys are making peanuts compared to the millions these games are bringing in for Stern Pinball. The problem is this, though. The problem is this. If you're if you're a prolific designer and artist, I mean, who do you who are you going to go work for? Who are you going to go work for? Because otherwise, you're just going to be sitting on your hands for years trying to get your games out. I mean, if I if I wanted to see my efforts 
in the pinball world, out in the world, while I would love to have a company like Jersey Jack funding me with, with higher bomb and, and they put more into the game, I feel like you'd sit around idly waiting so long. I mean, look at Mr. Franchi. I mean, he went from having his artwork out in the world every year, multiple times, to now nothing. Nothing. And, and, and it doesn't seem like anything's coming anytime soon with Cactus Canyon next. So if, if you are Keith Elwin, I don't, you know, I think he loves his job. I think he loves going in to work every day, making pinball machines. And, and I'll say this, like, so yes, while I think his salary is probably not as high as it should be, he's probably really happy. And when you work in a job like pinball, it's not work. Like he, he must love what he does every day. And I doubt it feels like work. That being said, with all these millionaires and all these millions being made by these games, I think these gentlemen deserve way more money. And if the rumors are true about what I hear they paid designers, it's, they are grossly underpaid for how much these products are generating. And then Stern goes and sells these $1,000 toppers left and right and all, you know, Elvira. Like, think about it. Elvira's signature edition for 15 grand. Is Lyman Sheets seeing extra money there? You know, is Dennis Nordman seeing extra money if they sell at that? Is Keith Elwin going to see, like, a does he get a 10% bonus if a game reaches 2,000 or more in sales volume? I don't know. I don't know. I hope so. I really hope so. So the other side of the Ninja Turtle coin, though, I want I, I said I got two notes on Ninja Turtles, and I got an email from, oh, this name. Why can't I get, okay, this name is, is J-O-C-H-E-N, Joshin Ray Meekers. He writes, hey, Chris, you asked for some feedback on TMNT owners, so here I am. We have our TMNT Pro for six weeks. It's really great and quick game. We have 350 games on it, and me and my girlfriend love it. The shots are very satisfying, and the flow is super. We are no tournament players, but we play a lot of pinball. I can imagine that non-experienced people who buy this machine are selling it very quickly because it's too hard. But just by replacing the really bad stock flipper rubbers by some super bands, it's already easier to shoot. So my opinion is this. Great game. Pro offers more than enough but only for experienced players or players who want to get better. If you have some questions, feel free to ask. All right. So look, I mean, it's sort of a similar theme. It's a really tough game. It'll make you better. But if you are a casual pinball fan and a casual sort of like dude who just wants to have fun on a Ninja Turtles machine and get deep into the game, it might not be for you. So this debate will rage on. Should games be made simpler? Should games be, you know, are they too hard? Are too many tournament players in charge of how these games are designed and it's 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 a debate which will never end but i will say this some of these games are too damn hard and you know that and you know that all right let's close out this show with the two big news items jersey jack pinball and deep root okay so jersey jack pinball continues to sort of confirm not confirm that guns and roses is the next machine now i finally got an answer from my friend over at Jersey Jack Pinball, why they were upset with me with one of my Facebook Live comments. I said that if I if they didn't reveal anything by September 15th, that I would show a little bit of something, and and I get why that pissed them off. And so they're right. They are right. As I told Eric, I am not going to spoil your game. That's why you can ask anyone out there. I haven't even sent even my best friends in the pinball hobby, and they know who they are, the men who hit me up every day that I trust. I very, I very much trust these gentlemen. I have not sent them anything because my trust is between me and Eric 
and the person who gave me the images, and I will not release anything Guns N' Roses because of that, okay? So sorry, I'm going to go back on my word. You're not getting even a morsel of, of imagery of this game until they're ready to release it. So they put up an image of Willy Wonka and dialed in with the phrase, oh, won't you please take me home, which if you're a Guns N' Roses fan, you know is a line from the song Paradise City. So when will we see Guns N' Roses? When can we take Guns N' Roses home? Because they also know over at Jersey Jack Pinball that the two machines that nobody wants to take home right now are Willy Wonka and dialed in. So clearly they have some overstock and some inventory of two games that are still in boxes. It's crazy to me. It must still crush Pat Lawler's ego just a little bit that dialed ins are sitting in box at Jersey Jack Pinball, are sitting in box at distributors, and nobody wants them. New in box. I even think they have new in box collector's editions just still sitting unsold on dialed in. Are there any new in box Pirates of the Caribbeans anywhere in the universe? I mean, think about that for a minute. Hundreds of people, if not a few thousand, would love to get a chance to get a new in box Pirates of the Caribbean game and they can't find them anywhere. And, and it's the Pat Lawler games. I mean, think about that, how funny and ironic that is. It's the Pat Lawler games that are sitting there unsold in box. And that is why everyone wants Eric's game next. Eric has never made a game. Has never made a game. He's only made one game. But you know what I'm saying? He, he, the demand for his stuff, I think, is always going to be high the same way the Keith Elwin demand is through the roof. So I'm just here to tell you right now. I'm not releasing images, but I've seen Guns N' Roses, and I'll tell you, I've said it on my Facebook Lives, I'm going to say it here right now. I am 100,000% in on a collector's edition of Guns N' Roses. I think that if you want an amazing pinball game, and you want a spectacular pinball package, that you too will go in on a collector's edition of Guns N' Roses. When you call your distributor tomorrow or today, because it's a holiday, and you say, I want to be on the list for the collector's edition of Guns N' Roses, tell them that Canada sent you because they deserve to know. They deserve to know who's sending business their way. So whoever you want to call, whoever your distributor is for Jersey Jack Pinball, I think almost everyone distributes them right now, say that Canada sent you to get in on the collector's edition because trust me, you're going to want it. Now, I don't know how many collector's editions they're making. I hope it's not 500. It's just, I just, I always think they overshoot with that many at this price point. I don't know how much the game is. Will we see an increase in price for the collector's edition this time around? I mean, Stern is raising their prices. Shouldn't Jersey Jack? I don't know. I don't know. COVID has to have made everything more expensive. So if you have that delay, aren't you going to factor that delay into increased prices? And we all know that the people who buy these things, if you can afford 12.5, let me tell you something right now. If you can afford 12.5, you can afford $13,000. You can even afford thirteen five. Heck, you can afford $15,000. Stern Pinball has shown us that you don't have to put much into a game to sell $15,000 machines, but again. All right, so my biggest concern with this game was that Pat Lawler was going to yank stuff out. And I think, you know, the I, was, I heard that he took out the subway system from the game, and I was concerned that this game would be neutered and that there'd be some jealousy or envy over there and and pat would look at eric's design and and, and take stuff out and so i was briefly just chatting with eric and i guess super cool dude i mean such a chill dude and i just wanted him to answer one question for me because to me this is the only thing that really matters i mean it's his game it's his baby it's his design and i i just said hey man like i just want to know like are you happy 
with the final product. And he said three words to me. And these three words he said to me, I think are going to be the same reason you run to your distributor and you put in an order on a collector's edition tomorrow. He said, and I'm going to, I'm going to paraphrase it because it's an expletive. And you know, Eric, I mean, he's chill. Like I, I don't even like, he's so docile and chill. Like I don't even expect him ever to like curse or, or say something hyperbolic. But he said to me, it's effing incredible. Okay. And that's all I needed to hear. I'm so happy he's happy with the game. I'm super happy with what I've seen in the game, and I know you're going to be super happy too. So here's what we know about Guns N' Roses so far. We know that it's effing incredible. We know that there's 22 songs in it. There will be Live and Let Die in the game. Jersey Jack himself told me that Slash called Paul McCartney to get the rights to that song. I'm also hearing that there will be the ACDC song Whole Lot of Rosie in the game. Not, sh- I'm not 100% sure on that, but Guns N' Roses does sing Whole Lot of Rosie in concert a lot. I think if you want to know which 22 songs are going to be in this, go look at the recent set list from their Not In This Lifetime tour. I think you're going to see a lot of those tracks represented. All of the band members, including Axl Rose, will be signing the collector's edition, which is great news. I saw I took a lot of arrows in that you know some people were saying oh i reported that incorrectly no so at first i i i heard that axel wasn't in the game so i i simply put up a post and here's what's great when i did that i just want to clarify this when i did that that created a response from jersey jack pinball to clarify that axel would be signing the game and so who got you that news who got you that news that all the band members were signing the collector's edition i did but did anyone report that I updated my post to say Axel would be in the game. Nobody did. They all took the original thing I put up and said, he's once again wrong. <laughs> it's just funny to me. The select- I'm seeing this again with like Raza, and we're going to talk about that. I've been talking about Raza and Raza pricing and where I think it's going to be. And I'm, I'm, people are just taking stuff out of context and not sharing the entirety of my commentary, which is important. Okay, so what else we know about the game is that it's a standard body game. And that Eric is the designer, Keith is on the software, and Slash has worked on the game with them as well. Um, It has hand-drawn, illustrated artwork that's going to blow you away. It's the best art package I've seen on a Jersey Jack machine to date. And it's right up there with everything you're seeing from from everyone else. Uh, If you think, you know, like Zombie Yeti, all the good stuff, like it's good. It's good. They're they're now fighting fire with fire with this art package. No more of this like Photoshop drag and drop stuff. This is going to rock and roll, okay? The other big news that you haven't heard before from me, I'm just here to confirm for you. They're probably going to be pissed at me for saying this, so I'm sorry, Ken Cromwell. I'm going to have to reveal one amazing thing about this game or two amazing things that this game will feature. Um, The game will feature more than one flipper, and the game will feature more than one cabinet leg. So that that's it. You heard it here first from Canada, and I, I, I stand behind that news. I don't think that's going to be inaccurate. All right. So I can't wait for this game. I know you can't wait. It's without a doubt I'm getting a Guns N' Roses. There's like nothing could keep me from it. There's nothing Keith could do. with the, They can't butcher this code like they did Wonka. They can't. There's nothing you could do. It's Guns N' Roses, the 22 songs. There's nothing you could do. You can't chop it up. The only way that Keith could destroy this game or, or code this game in a way that wouldn't make me want to buy it is if they removed like Axel from all the songs or something stupid like that. All right, let's end the show. Last but certainly not least with Deep Root Pinball. Now, Deep Root Pinball is a company that is on the verge of finally showing us what they've been working on. And I talked to Robert Mueller last week because I just wanted to get a little clarity and just see what's going on. You know, congratulate him on, on, on being right around the corner from his launch. 
We're seeing the teaser images they're putting up. He posted something about the hammer on the playfield we're going to talk about right now. And I have a few details that are not going to spoil anything, but I just want to give you some some information that I don't think anyone's talked about on any other show that I think is new and, and you're going to find interesting. But there are still a lot of question marks that I don't know about that will be revealed very, very soon. And that's the first thing is that if you are wondering when are you going to see Raza Retro Atomic Zombie Adventureland, as I said to people, it will be revealed before my birthday. Now, my birthday, so you know, is September 25th. So you can you can count down from then. And we know the teaser image has the nine in it. So we're, we're going to talk about that right now. So he's got the nine. He's then got the dot. And then there's a 20. And then there's a B and a D. Now, people are saying, does that mean September 20th is the before Deep Root date? Are they saying like there was life, you know, after Deep Root and life before Deep Root? <clears throat> It's, I, I think that's what it's going to be because they spell deep root with a lowercase d. So even though that picture looks kind of weird and it's got the green fist punching through, that's not them making fun of the Incredible Hulk and the Avengers launch. Uh, I believe, is it Zed or Ned? I think it's Ned. The the alien guy in, in the game is green and that's him punching. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I do think if you look at those numbers, it's going to be right around when you're going to see this game revealed to the world. So that's that's not a long ways away, right? That's like literally two weeks from now, around two weeks from now, we're going to see Deep Root. Now, they don't stop with the teasers, so they've got their date that they're promising to show something. But the Robert didn't stop there. Robert then put up a post that has to do with Playfields. Now, I just have to read this because sometimes I just have to read this. So Deep Root put up a picture where it says they put up a picture that said hammer tested and it has an image of a hand with a hammer. It, clearly, this is J-pop. This is such a Zidware looking image. And they wrote, is the quality of your pinball wood playfield important to you? We at Deep Root Pinball take wood playfield quality so seriously. We are going to back it up with a hammer test and a warranty. If it leaves a mark, it doesn't ship. As such, all of our playfields will proudly bear the Hammer Tested trademark in honor and anticipation of the first public mark-free Hammer Test on Wood. We want your help featuring some crazy quotes about how dimples and marks are normal in our public launch. We will send a free limited run Deep Root Hammer Tested t-shirt featuring this logo to the first 50 Deep Root fans who qualify by emailing a publicly available quote, statement, or policy of a company personality or forum moniker where the state or imply that pits, dimples, cracks, pools, ghosting is normal, expected, inevitable with a wood play field. To qualify, the quote must be unique, first received, accurate, publicly verifiable, not confidential, in quotes as a direct quote, and you should be limited to no more than two to three sentences. Your email must also contain source material, i.e. printed material, website form, or hosted video, and cite the company personality or form moniker. We'll be in touch with all qualified participants and plan to ship the t-shirts in early October. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited. Please do not post any quote here as a comment as it will not qualify. 
So let me get this straight. Let me get this straight. Deeproot is ready to show the world that they've solved the playfield issues that have plagued us for a millennium, which is awesome. And to celebrate that, they want people out there to grab quotes from pinball personalities, pinball media, and pinball manufacturers to shame them to win a free t-shirt. Am I, am I getting that right, Robert? That now, and I, I, I want to enter myself right now because I've said on Canada's Pinball Podcast many times that I guess playfield dimples are just normal and it's just part of pinball. You have to learn to live with them. So someone, can I submit myself to win one of these t-shirts? And I told Robert I want my t-shirt in a size medium. And I also sent him the video from Steve Ritchie explaining that every single playfield that's been made with wood will dimple. It's at the 30 second mark on that YouTube video. But here's what here's here's the thing. I think Robert, if you guys have figured this out, that is incredible. But why? This is where the public relations campaign comes in. Why oh why oh why do you have to show the world your innovation while at the same time bringing up and making fun of everyone? Just just beat them with the product. You don't need to do this. I've I've said it. I I think this never-ending trolling of the pinball community and the people in it isn't going to get you more customers. Make the products speak for themselves. Take the high road. This is the low road. This is the low road. Let's make fun of everyone who got this wrong and, and then show them we did it right. Why do it that way? Why do it that way? Because the one thing that they could share with you is, hey, let's share how many games we shipped last year. Let's share how much money we made. And you know this, Robert, you know this. And again, like I get it. I actually love talking to Robert because when Robert speaks, he's gonna tell me something and he's gonna speak in a way that nobody else would. And I love the bullishness. I love the bravado. I love the arrogance. I love the swagger. Look, we need that in pinball. And I'll tell you why we need it. Because there's too many people out there in the pinball world that have been doing the same thing over and over and over again for 30 years. And there hasn't been innovations in areas like play fields. And I hope that they figured it, and they must have figured it out. Why would they be doing this if, if they didn't figure it out? So I really hope that Deep Root Pinball can show the world that all of us can have a play field that's made of wood, it's made of birch wood, he told me, that can take a hammer and not dimple and crater and pull and crack. So if they're able to do this, I, I think the significance of this innovation in pinball is gonna have a ripple effect through the entire hobby. So I know a lot of you are saying like, so, but what's the point? They can't make a game. Like, so they've made one part of a machine better. Where's the product? And yes, you're right. They need to put everything together. It's not just about designing a better play field. People want games. You're a pinball manufacturer. These guys, they're not, they're not Mirko specialty. Deep Root's not a, pin, a play field manufacturer. So can they stitch it all together? And again, we're going to find out in just a few weeks how this all comes together. Now, the other thing is this, I don't think we're gonna see like multiple titles. I think we're just gonna see Raza. And in speaking to Robert, I get the sense that they just wanna get Raza out. Like we've been, you know, this game has been a Zidware game for eight years. Deep Root Pinball has been developing this game for three years. It's too long. Like it's, there reaches a point where like when games are developed for too long, it fatigue sets in enthusiasm for it starts to wane you're almost staring at it too long and 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 you're trying too hard to like mess around with it and here's the thing there's nothing that would justify needing that many days to design a machine and the more time that passes 
The problem is this, the more time you spend developing a machine, the more expensive that development cycle is. So then people's expectations go way up, right? If you hear like, oh, this machine's been in development for eight months, okay. You expect a certain thing in that game. If you hear three years they've been working on this, holy crap, I expect like levitating balls. I expect holograms. I expect the ball to disappear and come back, you know, two weeks later. Whatever it is, the expectations become like through the roof. And I think from what people saw with Raza at Houston, they didn't see anything that warrants that amount of time, right? And then for three years, like this game better come out with perfect code, everything finished, like everything polished. But we all know like pinball is usually a work in progress and you also want to get it out there to get more feedback and to and to hear from people on what they're enjoying and what they're not enjoying. See, that's what has me worried about all of this stuff is when you develop in a vacuum like this, you don't know. Like is Steve Bowden who's brand new to coding a machine. You know, he's the coder in this game. Does Steve Bowden know how to make pinball magical moments happen? I hope he does. But we really haven't seen, like, he's got to inherit this J-pop game, this, like, weird theme. It's not easy. How do you make a magical moment happen on an original IP that features aliens and zombies and amusement parks and graveyards? And you've got to connect all of this together and then make the moments meaningful to people and make those moments count. And that's really hard. It's a lot easier for Keith Elwin to figure out a rule set that's going to get Avengers fans excited about, you know, finding the Infinity Stones and doing this and doing that based upon Thor and the Hulk and Black Panther and Iron Man. You know what I'm saying? It's like you easily can get people's emotions going around a property like that. But to do it with an original IP with all this, you know, trying to unravel what's in the head of J-pop, harder to do harder to do. So I get this sense from Robert that they want to get this game out. Like we need to get game one out. And the thing that I feel, I'm, I'm getting this from him, is they're really excited about what they have in the pipeline. But until they get this first domino knocked over, they're not going to get to the other dominoes. And you're not going to see the full potential of the Deep Root platform if, if this game continues to be the bottleneck. And getting any game out has been the bottleneck for Deep Root. So I get that sense that we just want to get Raza out. I don't get the sense that Raza is going to represent the, the home run of this company. I don't. I don't think Raza is going to be like the best game ever or the best Deep Root game ever or, or, or the most impressive game. Like if I were to walk through Deep Root, I bet you what they have that they're most excited about is not this game. Now, this is just this is like the leftover baggage. Remember that he had to make the Razas to satisfy. He didn't have to, but he decided to, for the goodwill, to satisfy all the legal issues surrounding working with J-pop and all those people who gave deposits on Raza back when it was Zidware and, and American Pinball you know, got those broken magic girls out. But that's why, if you remember the history of Deep Root, it all started out with like, here's what we're going to do to satiate and, and mitigate all of you who are wronged by John Papaduke. So J-Pop comes with all this baggage. So I think they just want to get past that. Everyone who will be made whole, Razas are out there. And here's here's what I'm hearing. And here's what, here, some of this is going to be like stuff I know, some of it is speculation. So what we don't know is this. We don't know how many Razas are going to be made. I do know for a fact it's going to be limited. They're going to make a limited number of Razas. What you haven't heard before is how will you buy your Razas? And you're going to hear more about this. But supposedly, I think the way it's going to go down 
is order banks will open via DeepRoot, online ordering of the game. I don't think they have any distributors lined up to distribute the game. So I think you're going to be buying directly from DeepRoot. It'll be very much like a spooky Bloodsuckers edition thing where they're going to announce the games available and it'll immediately be available to buy. So you're going to see it like the rest of the world and you're going to go in on one and you can buy it. And it's going to be a limited window in which you can order the game. And the goal is not to try and make volume. The goal is to keep it limited. Now, what I don't think they have quite figured out yet, I don't think they're going to put a number on it. I think they might just say it's available to buy for 48 hours or a week or whatever it is or a day. And that's that. And that number will be that number. And I don't think they're going to say like it's 500 or 250, but they might do that. So I, I think they're still figuring this out. They've got a few weeks until reveal. And I, I think for Robert, you really don't know. You don't know. There's, there's no historical lesson you can learn from all the other games that have been launched recently. Like how does he sit in a room as a marketer and figure out what's the right thing to do. Now, I've been giving him my free advice, and I've said it before. I think they should only make 250 max. I think they should price it between 10 and $12,000. And I think if you sell that at that price and you make only that many games, you're gonna sell every one. I, I just, I know the way this marketplace works. And here's the thing, even if you don't, even if you don't, well, then you have an even more limited game and you move on to the next game. But I still think the thing you can't do Again, it, value is is a combination of what's actually in a game and then perceived value, right? Like the per, what's the perceived value of putting a piece of couch in an Elvira game? Well, apparently it's $15,000 for people. So I think if you make this J-pop game a rare sought after collectible by, by manufacturing the scarcity, you will keep that game rare, you will keep the value high and you will keep the collectors happy. Because if you have 200 or 250 people, they feel like they're part of an exclusive club and they're going to be the ones who are going to go in on the next J-pop artistic pinball experience that you might have. So that's what I would do. The problem is when you start to like make it undefined, when you say, well, we're not going to say how many we're going to make, we're going to see, I, I think that's when people drop off. I don't like it when companies market stuff in a loosey-goosey way. I don't like it when you announce something and, and you say like, oh, we're going to make 500 Munsters. Okay, demand's high. Okay, we're making 600. Oh, we're going to make a limited edition, yellow brick road edition of Waz. Oh, how many are you making? Well, I'm not going to tell you how many we're going to make. Well, then how do I know it's limited? See, when that stuff happens, you know, Jack did it too. Remember when Jack was going to do the collector's editions of Dialed Ins? We're going to sell uh, collector's editions up until midnight, December 31st, and that's it. How, however many orders we get, we're going to make. Okay, then that comes. He goes, oh, we're making 150. Oh, re really? An exact number of people? At 100, you know, I heard they only sold like 80 collector's editions of Dialed In. You know, that's the problem. I, I don't think Robert wants to come out of the gate in, in a wishy-washy way like that. I, I do think they should sit in a room and make a decision. This is how many we're making. This is how much they are. And then I think you just have to live with the consequences of that decision, but feel confident that you're making the right decision. And that's what I hope they do. Because anything else, I think, is going to fall flat. I do. I think if you keep it open-ended, collectors are not going to be happy because no one's going to go in and commit not knowing how many they're going to make. And I, I don't like that of like, well, we're gonna, we're, we'll let the consumers decide how many get produced. No, then you're putting the control of your product out in the world. No, no, you no, that's not how that's not how Gotti operates. That's not how Rolex operates. And again, I think you need to market this as a high-end product. 
to a high-end collector and live with those realities. And I think there are 200 to 250 high-end collectors in pinball easily that would gobble these things up. And I know they would. And the more you make it hard for them to get it, and you'd be like, we're only gonna sell it one day, boom, and then say, let's just say hypothetically, hypothetically they say like, we're only gonna open up the order banks for one day and that's it. And let's say like 150 sell in one day and that's it. Guarantee you, a week later, you're gonna have a bunch of collectors be like, oh, I didn't know that was happening. How can I get one? And then all of a sudden the price just keeps going up and up and up. So look, you might hate me for saying this stuff, but I think that's what they need to do with Raza. I don't know what the price is. I think that Robert can't price this thing below $10,000. He can't. He can't. Three years in development, he's got to give these games basically for free or at cost away to the, the Zidware people. And I think he just needs to set the price high and keep it this like rare, low production, high price product. And that's what Zidware games were always supposed to be. And I think that's where this game will fall. As far as the final package of this game, I have not seen it. I have asked Robert to show me something or give me something to chew on so I can tell you. I will tell you this, I have my name down for one. After speaking to him about it, after hearing some things, I am on the list to get a Raza, I'm on the list to get a Guns N' Roses, and I currently have a Rick and Morty. I will figure out the way I shuffle those games, but I do wanna support his change agent approach to pinball, I do. I like that he's pissed off and he's trying to make this stuff better. We haven't even seen Under the Hood. We haven't even seen stuff. I know some stuff about the cabinet and it's gonna be really cool. It's gonna visually pop like no other pinball cabinet. You, you can guarantee that. And so I wanna support that. Now, do I support the, the, the way he goes about some of this stuff? No. You know, I, I was joking with a friend. I'm like, Robert Mueller reminds me of maybe how I would be if I had like 10 million bucks in the bank. You know, you start to troll even harder because you don't care. But I do think he needs to soften that up. I don't think you should release your play field quality, uh, hammer test proven technology by shaming all of us who said dimples were normal. I wouldn't go about it that way, Robert, but you know what? I get why he's doing it. It's just his style and it's his company. And that's the, that's the benefit of having your company. You get to do it your way. Now, hopefully it backs up all of that bullishness and brashness, um, but we're gonna see in just a few weeks. This is gonna be the best month, the best month in a long time in pinball. I'm super excited. You should be super excited. And everyone will be back with more episodes of Canada's Pinball Podcast. If you have any questions, hit me up at canadapinball at gmail.com. I hope you're enjoying the show. I hope you're enjoying it being back on the airwaves. Happy to be here giving you guys pinball news, rumors, and speculations, and just chatting about the thing we all love, the toy none of us need, pinball. Later. Oh.